So I was uh, going over the service with uh, Dave Cooper uh, uh, early this morning. Um, he said, you know, I noticed these scripture passages sort of seem to parallel each other and kind of say uh, similar things. And of course, that is by design. Uh, and this is one of those Sundays during the year that we get a um, particular chance to reflect on how what happens in the New Testament, in the person of Jesus Christ, uh, is the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament. Let's listen together for God's word to us. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. And he left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So, the Middle Eastern world of 26 AD was a world in many ways very different from ours. There were no computers or cell phones, no Facebook or Twitter. Travel and communications were difficult in the best of times, but especially for the masses. Medicine, as we know it, 
didn't exist. Life expectancy was much shorter. The known world was much smaller and yet harder to get to than we would find it today. And yet that world was in many other ways very much like the one that we live in. Weaker nations were at the mercy of those who had military power and controlled material wealth. Taxes were a bone of contention in every society. Certain diseases for which there was no known cure were feared and caused victims to be ostracized. The rich were much richer than the poor. Those who were leaders in government and religion were often accused of hypocrisy. Imagine that. Sin had a stranglehold in every arena of life. And sometime around that year, 26 A.D., give or take a couple of years, a young man who had grown up in the tiny village of Nazareth began a short but remarkable career in that region as a teacher and healer and a controversial leader of a social movement that we now look on as the great turning point in history. In today's Gospel lesson tells one person's account of how that career began. And of course, you know it is Jesus of whom I speak. You know as well how that career turned out. Before we came today, we had all heard the story of the ups and downs of that career, its violent end, and its unexpected triumph in a lonely graveyard three days later. We've already heard of John the Baptist and Andrew and Simon Peter and the rest, but imagine for a moment that this story is all new. Imagine for a moment that we're like so many in that world, like so many in our own world, wrestling with that stranglehold that sin seems to have in our lives and not knowing what to do about it. The story in Matthew picks up right after the stories of Jesus' baptism and temptations. The gospel writer tells us that after John is arrested, and Jesus certainly would have been aware of what was happening with his cousin, John the Baptist, Jesus moves his place of residence from that tiny village of Nazareth to a little fishing village, somewhat larger, but still no more than 1,500 people a town on the northwest shore of Lake Galilee known as Capernaum, maybe 30 miles away. And in so doing, Matthew tells us, Jesus joins 
himself to a story that was already 2,000 years old. For Capernaum is in a region formerly occupied by the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the tribes referenced in both of these scripture passages of Zebulun and Naphtali, two sons of Jacob. And that region, those two tribes were part of Israel when it was overrun by the Assyrians 700 years before. And Matthew makes a point of this because a verse in the prophecy of Isaiah, a verse that we heard this morning that promises that someday that land, those tribes of Israel, would be among those to see the light that God would send and would be set free from sin and oppression. You know the verse, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. For those who sat in the region in the shadow of death, light has shined. This Jesus who makes his way from Nazareth over to Capernaum is the fulfillment of God's promise. We all know this verse. We read it every Christmas Eve. But we are rarely reminded of the context. The context is Isaiah's ministry to a people in exile. So let's pause now for just a moment and mark Jesus' journey from, to, from Nazareth to Capernaum, the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali, ancient lands dwelling in deep darkness. And let's think about the darkness of our own world. So many things might come to mind. We could spend the rest of the morning naming them. Drugs and alcohol addiction and the troubles that they bring to families. Violence that tears at the fabric of our society. The divisions in our world along lines of race and economic class. The war of words between differing political views. Think of the darkness of ignorant prejudice of poverty and homelessness. Think of the loneliness in the sick and the aged in nursing homes and jails. Think of the anxiety of our children in today's schools. Now imagine that in some way Jesus is even now making his way toward such dark places of sorrow and trouble, towards the darkness that wants to choke out the light in our world. Imagine that somewhere just out of sight, he has been waiting and listening, reflecting on the words of his cousin John the Baptist, that he is now ready to make his entrance. 
Imagine what might be his message to the lands and societies sitting in towns, sitting in the darkness that we know as modern life. The message, wouldn't it be just the same as Matthew reported it 2,000 years ago? From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent. Believe in the good news. And yes, we would agree quickly. We want our world to repent and turn to Jesus. We know that our greatest oppressor is not a political or military might, but Satan. The greatest captivity in life is not to a foreign nation, but to sin. But before we all jump too quickly on the let's everybody else repent bandwagon, we need to stop and ask what repentance might mean for us. For us who are trying to live good lives, even for us who are already seeking to follow Jesus? Well, let's remember that in the Bible, repentance means not so much just that narrow definition that we have of something that you're sorry for, something we did wrong and need to make amends. It can be that, but in the Bible, the word repentance has a much larger meaning, doesn't it? It means that about face, that change of direction. That's something that we all need from time to time. Whether it's our spiritual life that needs a reboot, or our attitude people who are different from us that needs a makeover, or our need to find a new direction for our service to the church, or our tendency to talk the talk but not be able to walk the walk. Jesus asks for a radical turnabout, a willingness to fall on our knees in thanksgiving for the mercy of God, and to bow our heads in humility for the recognition of our alienation from God's purpose in our lives. Jesus' ministry began in a proclamation of repentance because God had come near to us. God had grown tired of waiting for us to find God, so God comes among us. And this is still the starting point for Jesus' presence among us today. Now, fast forward a verse or two in Matthew. You can look back at the passage in your bulletin if you want. We next see Jesus walking along the seashore, calling to Simon and Andrew and James and John, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately... Immediately, they follow. And again, we maybe should be careful about letting our familiarity with this passage, we've all heard it many, many times, 
to obscure the dramatic thing that is happening here. For not only do they drop what they're doing on the spot, but they accept his call to a new life and head off in a new direction. That's the real meaning of repentance. Metanoia in the Greek, it means a radical change, a turning, a responding to the call and embracing something that's radically different from anything they've known. How does that happen, you might ask, in one meeting? How does one man so engage these fishermen that they are willing to leave behind everything they have known? Some of you might say, well, Jesus' personality, his charisma, his penetrating gaze, the authority in his voice would be enough to make anyone stop what they're doing, wouldn't it? Well, maybe but consider that perhaps this wasn't even the first meeting between Jesus and these men whom he now calls to be his disciples. We've already learned that he had moved to Capernaum, which is where those fishermen were living. We can't know for sure, but it wouldn't be unreasonable to think that they'd already met him, listened to his ideas before this day. Remember, in John's gospel, it is John the Baptist who first points out Andrew to Jesus. And then Andrew brings his brother Simon to meet Jesus. Not so hard to imagine, is it? We know that sometimes it takes a while for us to get the idea to accept something new, but whether you think it happened spontaneously on first meeting or whether they had a chance to get to know Jesus first, the important thing is that when he called, they responded. They answered. The call of God. The call of Jesus Christ needs a response. Salvation from sin, salvation for a life of meaning and purpose and mission requires our yes when Jesus says, come with me. There's one more scene we need to look at to understand this passage fully. For even as Simon and Andrew and the others respond to Jesus' invitation to become fishers of men, as the old translations had it, even as they leave their boats and follow, we are left with the question, what next? We know this is not the end of the story, but the beginning. For after Matthew tells us that immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him, we next read Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. To put it a little differently, after Jesus calls them to fish for people, he shows them exactly what that means. Preaching, teaching, tending to the sick and the suffering. 
Their mission is modeled on Jesus' mission. They discover that what Jesus is sent to do is now what they are sent to do. So once again, just imagine this story happening for the first time. It's not too hard at all to think of these four fishermen thinking, what, me? Fish for people? What does that mean? What's he talking about? And if Jesus had said, you too will be teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the good news to people around the countryside, you'll even be healing the sick. They most assuredly would have responded, who, me? A teacher? A preacher? No, I'm a fisherman. That's not my gig. I couldn't do that. And yet these same apostles are found later in the Gospels and on through the book of Acts doing just those things. But we know they were thinking that at the beginning because that's the way we think too. How many of us have said, oh no, I'm not going to teach Sunday school. That's not for me. Or, I love music, but I don't think I could sing in the choir. I'm not the kind of person who should be a deacon or an elder. Go to a presbytery meeting? Not me. I'll bring a blanket to church, but don't ask me to get involved more deeply than that. But when we say yes to following Jesus, when we get it that this might mean some changes in our thinking and in our living, it puts our protest to the lie. And when we take time to see what Jesus is talking about, when we let ourselves go with him out into the world, we begin to see new possibilities. When we have spent time with Jesus, getting to know him, trusting that he has a good plan, we begin to imagine that it might happen. When we let our relationship with Jesus Christ empower us, we find we are able to do far more than we had imagined. In the darkness... In the sin which wants to hold all the world in thrall, even now, even today, this light moves toward us. Jesus comes to us, even as he did in ancient Capernaum, to his encounters with Simon and Andrew and James and John. He calls to us, as he calls to them and bids us to come and follow that we may teach the gospel and spread good news and minister to the sick and the suffering of this world. It is our mission, as it was his, to be the light in the darkness to fish for people. Don't doubt that he is here. 
for no one truly expected him, and yet he came. Above all, don't doubt that you are up to it. For you are the body of Christ in this world. In Jesus, the ministry has begun. Who's in? Let us pray. We thank you, O God, for the light of Jesus Christ, our only light in the darkness of sin in this world. Give us grace to see the light, to hear his voice, and above all, to be ready to make that change that about face to follow him. Amen.